Hi there, I'm Tommy Williams. For the second summer in a row, uh, we're enjoying ways to connect during the season while folks travel and go to camp and enjoy vacations. And it's really just one more way through this podcast to form our faith uh, through the scriptures and to be learning together wherever we are. Um, So for this summer together uh, podcast, uh, we're welcoming Dr. Jack Levison. Um, Jack is a professor of Old Testament interpretation, biblical Hebrew at Southern Methodist University Perkins School of Theology, actually my um, my uh, alum school. So really glad to have you. They back. still every day they still talk about you. Tom. Yeah, right. I, I sure believe that. Every right? day. Yeah. <laughs> Don't believe it. Graffiti uh, everywhere. Uh, yeah, that's right. My namesake. I'm sure. Uh, so as you can tell, Jack also happens to have a great sense of humor, uh, um, and he's married to Priscilla, who is good people too. So, uh, Jack, thanks for trying out the podcast with us. What fun! Glad to be here. So St. Paul's orients its worship around the lectionary uh, scripture schedule, which walks us through certain calendar seasons of the Christian year. Um, And the season we're in right now, of course, goes by lots of different names, uh, ordinary time, kingdom tide from another generation, uh, the season after Pentecost, which is ordinarily how we think of it here. Um, But as I look ahead, Jack, I've noticed uh, that this summer we're we're primarily in the book of Genesis, and uh, so I thought we'd kick off there, since that's um, the the field of your teaching at the moment, uh, even though I know you got a background and a lot else. Um, So I thought you might share a little bit of a beginning background on Genesis itself, um, just sort of its overarching intent and themes, um, some thoughts about it overall, and where where we feel the writer and uh, our Lord is trying to take us. Yeah, happy to do this, and I want you to chime in as much as you want. Uh, When I I taught undergraduates, we had a a 10-week introduction to Bible class, so you had to cram the entire Bible into 10 weeks for students who had to be there. It was required. So um, I had a lot of fun with Genesis, and basically I took apart the book of Genesis in terms of 10 threats to God's promise. So in Genesis 1, right, you have this beautiful creation poem, and then God says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And then from then on out, there are constant threats to God's promise that take you all the way through Genesis to Exodus 1. So, I mean, a clear example of a threat to the promise to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth is Cain's killing Abel. If you're murdering your brother, you're not being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. Then, of course, the flood. If you're you're God and letting people die, then you're not helping them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then a very simple one is, I think, in Genesis 11, maybe 10, I think it's 11, where it says Sarah couldn't have a baby. So you'll have all of these threats to God's promise, some coming from human evil, Cain and Abel, some coming from the natural world, the flood, some coming from our bodies. Mm. All of them threats to God's promise from different corners of our existence. And that's what makes Genesis so powerful, is that it takes very seriously the threats that come out of our world and don't just get imposed on them. So when you hit Genesis 12 to 50, you get what's called the ancestral, or we used to call it the patriarchal narratives, okay? So Genesis 1 to 11, they always called the primeval history. Those were the texts we really didn't know what to do with when people lived 900 years and you had floods and 
these strange people, strange animals, divine beings, married human daughters, and created giants in the land. We right. call that primeval history because we really don't know what to do with it. Right. But then in Genesis 12, it comes into Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Rachel, Leah, and Joseph. You have sort of the familiar family tree that, at least in my era as a 60-year-old, would be on the flannel graph in the small classroom in the basement of our church. That's right. You'd have all of them. I recognize the graph, yes, yes the, the family tree. The little family tree. Um, but when you realize the family tree is part of the story, but it's really a tree in peril. So Genesis, even 12 to 50, is a series of threats to God's promise to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So the kind of Sunday school narration of we had, and of course back in the day it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. It was just the patriarchs. Now we do the ancestors, Abraham, um, Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Leah, and Rachel and then Joseph. And so when we read these texts, and then I'll be quiet, and we can talk some more. Well, no. When, when we read these texts, we need to understand we're reading just little snippets of a text that are full of peril, are, are really full of danger. These are like stepping stones, and they're very slippery, and it's very easy to slip into the muck of human disaster. And that's what these stories are. Priscilla, uh, you mentioned Priscilla, who's associate dean at Perkins School of Theology. She's also a Methodist minister. And I remember one of her, one of her sermons, oh, it had to be 25 years ago. It was on Joseph. And she talked about the names. God has, God has caused me to forget my sorrows. Well, which, of course, is anybody would know, I still remember my sorrows. You know, every time you call the child's name, hey, God has forgotten, you know, told me to forget my sorrows. You're reminded of your sorrows. Yes, and, right. and Genesis is a really human book that if we let it go deep in our souls, we learn about ourselves. Um, we can read it like water skiers if we want. We can just read it and bounce over the waves. On the surface. On the surface. We can read it as if we're tubing behind a very fast boat. And then everything will be fine, and we'll know the family stories, and we'll know the quote-unquote patriarchal narrative. But I don't, think, I don't think we'll feel deeply abandonment, betrayal, love, competition, um, all in the family. All in the family. All in the family. All in the family. Right. So uh, I, I think maybe I'll, I'll wrap that intro up there. Yeah. But it, when it, it's not hard to teach to undergraduates because it's so earthy. It's so earthy. I mean, to think about this family as not sort of a uh, uh, crystal, uh, sort of crystal clean sort of family tree, but to have all of those complications and um, perils and promises all embedded within those relationships is, is true about that family too, for sure. True about you know when you think about it, it's true about the whole Bible. Um, one way to read the Bible is kind of a in heroes encased behind glass. And another way to read the Bible is to say, this is our story. I mean, 
this is really our story. So we have the family in Genesis. But then you have, you go later on, you have the family of David. Um, and here's David, whose family, he's, you know, we tend to think of David, a man after God's own heart. But as you read those texts in 2 Samuel, you begin to say, oh my gosh, he is, he is embroiled in the sexual violence, in the sexual politics, in the politics period of his family. So he could say to one of his wives, Michelle, basically, you know, go back to your father, Saul, if you want, but I'm the king now. And, and this tremendous agitation that comes with aggression and competition that, if we're honest, characterizes a lot of our families, and if not our families, then our churches. I mean, you know, you're in this study right now, but you're very much embroiled in a church, and you know you know the agonies of living in community. You know, we've been talking lately here in the church in, the, in, in, um, in our own context here about family life and the church is like, like any other family life we know, even our denominational life together, uh, not yeah. to go down that rabbit trail, but uh, it is to say that, you know, most healthy families or the healthy families that I know anyway are not families that agree on everything or don't have complexity inside of them, but they are families that have shared values um, they have shared commitments to each other, uh, but they still have disagreements. Yeah. They still have conflict, uh, competition, the things that you're naming. Yeah. And you do have wonderful moments. You have the birthday celebrations or the anniversaries. You have the moments where Joseph becomes ruler in Egypt. Right, but that's like a, that's just a chapter or two. I mean, how did he get there? Yeah. You know, thrown into pits, betrayed by brothers. Then he betrays his brothers and cheats them so that they have to come back to him. I mean, it is one deceit after another, so that by, time, by the time you get to Genesis 50, the last chapter in the book, it's almost as if you're crawling on your hands and knees, just grabbing ahead of you to see if you can make it to the finish line. You're just out of breath by the end of Genesis. There's been so much betrayal, so much deceit, so much murder, so much attempted murder, so much sexual violence, so much, so much going on like that, that you don't know you're ever going to get to Exodus. And then you get to Exodus, and how's it begin? They were being fruitful and multiplying and filling in the earth, just like Genesis 1. We made it. But, of course, as soon as we make it in Exodus, and we're uh, being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth, as soon as that happens, in comes Pharaoh from the outside of our family yeah. and says all the, all the boys two years and under kill them. So there is never a let-up in the Bible because there's never a let-up in life. Mm. Yeah. So let's rewind a little bit yeah. into Genesis 18, which is one of the readings that comes to yeah. us in the middle of June or so in church. And, and maybe it is one of those stories that is trying to provide uh, the counter-narrative to the difficult dynamics that you describe here. Um, uh, the, the, in, in this case, uh, talking about Abraham and Sarah and, and their barrenness and then these three visitors that, that come and Abraham shows them hospitality, but they have a message to share with Abraham and Sarah and Sarah's reaction to that, which is great. Uh, so uh, why don't you pick up and, and talk a little bit about that and maybe how that story, um, uh, you know, it, and comes into this larger arc that you've already been describing. Well, it's not an easy story to begin with because you have these three men visiting who are presumably representatives of the Lord. 
So you know more about this than I. I tell people my expertise ends in about the year 135 with the Jewish rebellion led by Bar Kokhba. After that, not so much in my brain. But certainly in the church, people saw this as Trinity, I believe, right? That this was a representative of the Trinity. I don't go there. That's not the way I read it. But it's certainly, let's get that out on the table. That's a way to read this. Um, that Abraham is comes out, you know, these three men come and Abraham comes out and runs to them. But, but when I read this text, Tommy, what I see is something right off the bat. The church really needs to learn, including myself, and that is enormous hospitality. Uh, I mean, I read this text, and all I see is hospitality. So, you know, people, I don't know, people listening in know this text very well. We should probably summarize it. These three men, uh, Abraham and Sarah, are at the Oaks of Mamre in a tent. And three men come and visit. And Abraham goes out and runs to them and washes their feet and begs to give them food and gives them basically the fatted calf and tells Sarah, knead them cakes, make them cakes. He runs to the herd, takes the calf. He gives them curds and milk and the calf. He cannot do enough for these three guests. Yes. Boy, okay, so a couple years back, maybe a year back now, I took one of my Perkins classes to a, quote, trendy church in Dallas. It was my Holy Spirit class. And... We stood in the, in the foyer of this new church. It was, very, it was in an industrial area, very cool. You walk in, there's the cafe right away. Nothing like St. Paul's. No cathedral, no nothing. Very trendy. And, and we stood, the six or seven of us, stood at the little, it wasn't really a vestibule, right as people went in and out and didn't get greeted. And we were two old white men like me, African-Americans, someone from India, we looked so different from the people who were rushing beside us that I was so angry that I wrote a Huffington Post piece called A Tirade for the Trendy Church, which got quite a bit of reaction. It did. But what I said was, basically, where is the hospitality? And sometimes I think we talk, is it a friendly church? Yes, you might be a friendly church, but you may not be a hospitable church. And now, that may be stretching this text because this is home. This is Abraham's home. This is Sarah and Abraham in the tent. But I have, we've moved a lot. And oh, how wonderful it would have been to be invited back to someone's home or a restaurant after visiting and eating. You know, and you there's something these, about sharing meal and oh table, right? That that's beyond just a, a handshake and a good to see ya, you know. Um, yeah. The sharing at table, and of course that that theme uh, uh, takes greater and greater significance as the as the biblical story story arches on, and of course into our own sacramental understanding of mm-hmm. of a holy meal sharing. Um, but yeah, the high kind of depth of hospitality that's shown here as well. Oh the church really called toward. And I love it. And as I was reading it, it's such a challenge. In verse 2, three men standing near him. When Abraham saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them. He bowed to the ground. And then he said, don't go, don't go. It's not like someone's at the door, oh no. You know, I'm sort of like, oh no, someone's at the door, they're at my house. 
Oh no, this is where I take my naps. This is where Maybe I eat my meals. Maybe they'll leave. Maybe they'll leave. Thank God we have a dog that can bark. I mean, that kind of thing. Maybe they'll leave. And he says, nope, uh, let me wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread. You can refresh yourselves. And that word refresh, I looked it up, is you can sustain yourselves with food. So enough food that they can eat. And after that, you can go. But then Abraham hastened into the tent. So he's run out to them. Now he runs back to the tent and says to the Sarah, okay, they may leave. Get the cakes ready because we need to give them more food so that they could stay. And then in verse 7, Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Even the servant realizes there's something urgent here. We have guests. And then he didn't just give milk. He gave curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. It's like if you go to a really good restaurant, because notice what it says, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. It's like a good Jewish mother, a good Italian mother, spends the day cooking, abundant. cooking, cooking. More food that you can, abundant, more food that you can ever imagine. And then, standing there, you know, apron around the waist while you're eating the meatballs. I mean, it's an incredible image of hospitality. Uh, reveling in the moment, right? Oh. That there has been this joy. I mean, I this kind of reckless abandon. It, oh. it is imagining this old man running to greet these newcomers, uh, visitors, strangers, and then, you know, rolling out the red carpet. Um, yeah, with this kind of abundance. And really, I mean, the display of him scurrying around, the image of him scurrying around to do all of oh. this and go the nth degree. Right? Yeah. And, and I do love that he's the one scurrying, not Sarah. He scurries. He does the work of hospitality. He doesn't leave it, forgive me, but he doesn't leave it to his wife. He's not the working man whose wife then makes the home. He's making the home too. They're making this home together for people passing by their tent. You know, it makes me wonder how Abraham was formed. You know, what made him such a person, you know. And I know we have a little bit of story about the nomadic life yeah. before Abraham with his father and that. Um, but the, the formation of someone that, that then lives their, um, their life this way. Well, you know, that's a really good point. In Genesis 12, right, where the ancestral story begins and we put the primeval history behind us, here's what God says. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. And we'll hear that again. Uh, to the land that I will show you. I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. This is Genesis 12. I'll bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know what? He knew what it was like to be in transit. So what happens? Three men come to his tent in transit, and he does to them as he would have them do to him. Yeah. He basically, I think so often, Scripture comes to life when we have had an experience that resonates with it. Yeah. And if we've never been in transit, if we've never needed a home, if we've never been in financial straits, then maybe we don't understand the power of hospitality. So maybe it's about, um, for people of faith, maybe it's about getting in touch with our own 
um, sort of personal experiences, even our personal experiences of challenge and even hardship, and then finding ways for that to make connection and solidarity with other people, right? So it's Abraham's um, connection with his own migrant life, transitory life, you say, um, that helps him to understand the strangers that come his way. I think so. I think that's exactly right, because, you mean, he, he's kicked out. I mean, he had a great, he had lots of money in, in battle or whatever, he, wherever he was. He had lots of money. They were building a beautiful city with a beautiful tower. Well, didn't last. But, I mean, he had everything, and he left just about everything to live in transition in order to make the world a place full of families that are blessed. Well, we, we won't have time to go this far in this first podcast segment, but it does, it does make a wonderful connection, Abraham's experience with the commissioning of Jesus and his disciples in the Matthew Gospel paired here, which has Jesus send out laborers into the harvest um, to go, um, to understand themselves as the people who are sent um, in love and connection to other people. Um, we won't have time to get too far into it, but I can understand why the lectionary editors paired these things together. As I was looking at these, I thought it's really toward the end of this Matthew section, and it may be after the lectionary. Yeah, it's actually after they stop the lectionary. So yeah. Jesus sends the disciples out, right? And they don't have much. They're to proclaim the good news. They're not to take a bag for their journey. They're not to take two tunics. They're not to take gold, silver, copper in their belts. And they're not to take sandals or a staff. For laborers deserve their food. From whom? From the people they stay with. They're completely dependent upon the hospitality of others. And then notice this part isn't in it. This is the funny part that's not in the lecturing. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is, in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, you'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that town. Hospitality. When he sends them out, it's find someone like Abraham and Sarah. Yeah. Find someone. And that's Matthew chapter 10, later in Matthew chapter 10. Right yeah. after that, right after the lectionary it text, they off, cut right? it off. They sent them out, but we, uh, yeah, we get mean, to hear how important hospitality is. Yeah, yeah, it really ends there. Yeah, Super important. This is great, Jack. Really enjoyed yeah. the conversation this great first text. segment. Uh, thanks, listeners, for joining us this week.